I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey, welcome to Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction. But more importantly, it's about recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. Uh, today, it's just me and you, man. I know. I'm excited. It's fun just uh, to talk with you. You know, and I've got some questions that I put out on Facebook and Instagram, so we'll be able mm-hmm. to answer some of those questions. Okay. But I wanted to kind of just talk to you about what's going on in my head. Um, <laughs> that so, be which fun. is a spook alley. Yeah. Uh, no, no, it'll be fun. You, you know, got a fun head. So uh, we're coming up on the four-year anniversary of my sobriety. That's right. September yeah. 3rd, September. 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember uh, it vividly. I mean, and it pops into my head at the most random times. But I remember laying on the grass, blood in my eyes, smoke coming out of the engine, clouds going by, mm. sirens blaring, and, you know, screaming. I mean, it was, it was chaos that yeah. I caused. Yeah. That I was, I, was the, I was the problem. It was all your fault. Yes, it was all my fault, 100%. Yep. And I remember thinking to myself, and, and it's weird because I had this moment of clarity. I remember thinking, life as I know it is over. It's done. Kind of knew that was a turning point in your life. And- like it, it was so quick, but it felt like so long. But I remember in my head mourning the life that I had. You know what I mean? The TV, the ex-wife, you know, like everything that I had. I, I you mean you feel like, oh, I just threw it all away. It's I just, all I just change. Yep, I just threw it all away. Yeah, and and I remember mourning it, and I remember thinking, man, whew. And I remember thinking to myself, um. I can't do this. Um, I've got to figure something out. And that's when I called uni and then from uni went to Pinnacle Recovery and started getting my life back. Uh, And it hasn't been an easy process. And I was thinking about it on the drive down. And I remember um, mourning my life and being sad. And now I look back with a sober mind and clear eyes and I can be grateful that that happened. Because that life I was living was not a good life. It wasn't. There was good moments and there was good things that happened because of the result of it. But it wasn't a good life. It wasn't. And But in that, mo- in that moment, it was your only life. Yeah. And so that for – I mean that's a type of rock bottom or a moment of clarity, you know, an epiphany where you realized, uh-oh, this is – what just happened is such a big deal that my life's never going to be the same. You didn't know that you'd where you'd go at that moment. I think that that's uh, holds a lot of people back. It's a scary moment. I didn't realize that was the moment my life just began. It, it, which sounds weird. That was the moment that my life began. The life that I have now is so rich, so fulfilling, and so much more than I ever had. And don't get me wrong, I had a lot. I had a lot, but it wasn't, and I hate to use this word because it's a buzzword everybody's using, but it wasn't authentic. It wasn't appreciated. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't taken for what it was. It was, it was, I took everything for granted. I, mean, I, I would say the word that popped into my mind when you said that was purposeful. 
Yes. Like, I think knowing you then and knowing you now, one of the main differences is Casey Scott now lives a purposeful life. And I'm not sure you lived a purposeful life in that same way. Not that you didn't have purpose in your family and those things, but like an overarching purpose to your life. I think you were still sort of the frat boy grown up. 100%. And I was trying to figure it out, and I thought my purpose was entertaining. I thought my purpose was being on TV. I thought, and I go back because I deal with people in recovery all the time. I thought my job is who I was. And my job was just my job. And who I was, I wasn't sure of because it all got intermingled. It but all I, got twisted. I think the entertaining back then was was for you, though. Because oh, if you think a lot about of it was like, just for me. Uh, DJing a wedding, we've talked about before that, you know, those those times you DJed weddings, which is for those people, right? They're like a big for, day. It's for the bride. It's for the groom. It's for their families. And you weren't always able to finish out the night. No, no. Because you were, you were too drunk. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the last jobs I did before uh, the DUI, I was a DJ up at Zermont, which is a hotel up yeah, in Heber. Yeah, I was about a minute 20 late on New Year's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> they, they, were, they weren't happy. No, they no, weren't no. happy. And But that's the thing is I was selfish. I, I, mean, I mean, I really was when it come to when it came to stuff like that. I was selfish. I was doing it for my entertainment. I was having a good time. And I was like, well, if I'm going to be here, I'm going to have a good time. Right. Not knowing that I was here to be paid to play music, to do this and make sure everybody had a good time. For everybody else. And and I was selfish. And I made it all about me. But when that accident happened is when my life really began. And, 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 and it's weird because I was 45 years old. Yeah. And I've learned more in the past four years about myself, who I am, what I want to be, where I want to go, what I want to pass on to my children, what I, what kind of dad I want to be. And mm-hmm. that's really what it all started to take shape. Like if I was on that ground and I said my life is over, I just threw it all away. And now I look back after four years and it hasn't been easy. Uh but it's been worth it, and I've got so much more than I ever imagined, and it, it's crazy. So I guess what I wanted to say is that, you know, if your loved one is going through addiction right now or you yourself are going through addiction and you think that you can't have a rich, fulfilling life, yes, you can. You're going to have to do the work. Change has to happen. Change. That's the thing. Change right there. And I was just talking to somebody before we walked in. This disease is not one that you can ignore. It will not go away. And, and it's crazy to think how many people, that is their plan. That is their plan. I will just ignore it. Or loved ones of some, of an addict saying, I will just ignore it. Yeah. And the ship will ride itself. Yeah. That doesn't work. That's a horrible plan. I'm telling you right now, if ignoring is in your arsenal, take that out because that, that arrow does not fly. Time does not heal all wounds. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Um, and I know there's a lot of religious people who listen to this podcast, and there's a lot of people who have been guests on this podcast who have a higher power, have a, a spirituality, sure. and has, has brought enlightenment and enrichment to their recovery. But praying this disease away does not work either. Nope. You cannot pray it away. Nope. Because there's, there's science, and there's chemical, and there's body, and there's... Prayer will not make this go away. It will give you insight. It might give you direction. It might give you tools. Feel supported. Yes, but it will not. You can't just. You still have to do the work yourself. Yes, you can't just sit down and go, Dear Heavenly Father, that, that 
Yeah. It's not going to work. Make it go away. It's not going to go away. And what's sad about that is I think, unfortunately, a lot of people I've spoken with in in private sessions um, are heartbroken over that because, and it, it might end up actually harming their faith because they don't understand that, um, you know, I've prayed really hard. I've done all the right things and I still struggle with this disease or this mental illness. And I think you have to understand the role that faith plays, and it, it can be for a person an extremely vital, important role in their recovery. However, it's, it isn't enough on its own to magically take things away. That faith isn't magic, right? No. And, and so you have to learn how to utilize your faith, but also be fully committed to behavior change. That's, that's what does it, is that how do we change our behaviors? How do we change our mindset? How do we switch from uh, sort of a, a fun-driven life to a purpose-driven life? How many people have we had sit in that chair who've been guests on this podcast who come from religious backgrounds? And a lot of times that religious background, and I don't, I'm not throwing stones, I'm not saying anything out there, but has been a detriment or a hindrance to people in addiction because they don't want to believe it comes from my family. Because parents of addicts will be like, wait a minute, we go to church, we've done everything right. Why is this happening to us? Right. And it's not happening to, it is, but it's happening to the addict himself. And that's what we've said from the get-go when it comes to this podcast. Addiction does not discriminate. It doesn't. It really, I mean, we... We've done this for over three years now, mm-hmm. and we've had uh, guests from every part of the socioeconomic uh, stratosphere, right? Oh, yeah. Like from, from any, any type of person, if you want to typecast people, uh, we've had them all, mm-hmm. and uh, they've all struggled with addiction. Yeah, and, and, and that – I mean, I remember even the four years ago – I when I worked in TV and radio and you would see a superstar or a rock star or an mm-hmm. actor lose everything and you'd be like e- even I was guilty of it I was like how does that happen Right you're you're at the top Yeah you know what I mean yeah. you should be happy and how does this happen right. and it even happened to myself when I got the DUI and put it on Facebook people would be like I can't believe that happened right. to him you know he had everything and it's like you want to go do you think addiction is sitting around going Oh wait a minute! Let's get Casey. No, he's got everything going for him. Yeah, we're we're, not, we're we'll not leave gonna, him alone. We're not gonna, no, that's not how it <laughs> yeah. works. In fact, on uh, I think it's uh, Instagram. I follow um, uh, sober celebrities. Yeah, right. And it's kind of an interesting one to follow if you're in this world uh, because y- y- you don't realize how many celebrity folks that maybe we grew up idolizing Anthony Hopkins people like that Bradley you know Cooper, Bradley Cooper Robert so, Downey Jr. so many actors and musicians that uh, truly have been at the top of their game like the the superstars who now uh, share lots of thoughts about their sobriety and how their lives are better and you think wow you know just because you have all the power and influence in the world you, that doesn't bring you happiness. Mm. We, there's science behind that. We know that. Uh, and it isn't enough to insulate and protect you from addiction. You, you have to do the work yourself. Another amazing uh, celebrity who's uh, sober now is Samuel Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's crazy yeah. because you look at all the characters and everything that he's ever portrayed. Yeah. Uh, and he'll tell you. And arguably, and I think at one time, he's been in more movies than any other actor. Yeah, he's uh, prolific. And more blockbusters. And I mean, yeah. he just does it all. And he said his life didn't begin until he stopped drinking. 
And he was older than 45. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and he just said, he goes, one day I figured out if I want to do this and I want to be the person I want, I've got to get rid of alcohol. Yeah. Alcohol is just holding me back. And yep. his life began. Took off. So I, that's what I want to say is that life will begin. The life you're living right now as an addict is not a good life. And the life you're going to mourn, you've already thrown it away if you're deep into your addiction. So so it's funny that we're talking about sort of some of your history here because this, uh, you know, on on the Facebook, yeah. you, you get the memories that pop oh, up. Sometimes I, I they're good, sometimes they're, they're yeah, bad. Sometimes they're bad. So what do you see there? That's, a, that's something I posted. Uh, do you see how long ago it was? At the very top it says. Nine years nine ago. Nine years ago. Holy And cow. it's just a little picture. Yeah. Because what did we used to do nine years ago together? Fresh Living. Yeah. I was the first host on that TV show. Yep. Uh, it was me and Kelly Chapman, who now anchors Fox 13. Right. And then she left, and I got Debbie Worthen. And Debbie Worthen and I were the host of the show for, I think, about 10 years. Right. And we used to have you come on and help us talk with our kids and sort out issues. And uh, I mean, and that was a lot of fun. It yeah. was a, it was amazing time. And, yeah. it was, and, and I always loved it when you were there because you're the kind of doctor that explains it to people like me and makes it make sense. Well, I appreciate that. I, I, I appreciate that. But, you know, but that's, yeah, I mean, that was nine years ago. And my thought, though, in bringing that up, because I was actually thinking of showing that to you even before we started this conversation. I don't know if people realize, but we sort of just talk on the show. And, yeah. And so it's interesting that that dovetail, we're on the same wavelength today. Um, the reason I wanted to bring it up is just to, to show the contrast. You know, we were having so much fun back there. We'd shoot outside in that beautiful, you know, Galvin Center area. And, you, you know, you were doing uh, road tripping all around the state. And it was such a fun time. Debbie's so great. We had a great time. I, I used to love, you know, get, I actually, you know, would put other things on hold so I could come down and do the show with you guys. But I didn't realize what turmoil your life was in because you were pretty good at hiding that. And I started to understand later before everything happened. And, you know, we had calls, we had phone calls about it and everything. But it's it's so interesting to me that while the Casey that I love to hang out with, that I will put other work priorities on hold to come downtown and do that with with my buddy for all those years uh, is an even better version today. Like if you if you go nine years ago, I would have thought he's about as much fun as a friend could be. And then I would say contrast that to today and it's night and day. I think your life did start at age 45 because of that accident. I, I, yeah, I, thank you. And, 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 and it's, it's been crazy. I mean, it really has. Like those nine years ago, we were having fun and I was having a blast doing the road tripping and I was trying to keep it all together. And it was go back to Samuel Jackson and, and he goes, it was working until it wasn't. Yeah. And it was working. And I was able to keep all the plates spinning and I was able to do it all. But eventually but, that's what addiction does. And don't you think addiction, even when it is sort of working, so to speak, like Samuel Jackson and so many of these other uh, celebrities that we follow and they are working, you know, they're making albums or making movies and everything. But in your case, uh, so we can't speak for them, we'll speak for you. Like, don't you think it was sort of, don't you think addiction sort of creates sort of a, like you have blinders on to, to maybe the really good stuff of life. Like you think you're connected with the good stuff. You're like, oh, I'm keeping my job. And, you know, even if Kids you're- got season passes. Yeah, we got a house. Everything's we good. We get to do the vacations. We're checking all the boxes. Everything feels right. And that's, but that, the blinders, and it's also the, the deception of the disease. Right. It makes you think, wow, 
how can this stuff be this bad? Because I'm still doing all the things that I said I wanted to do. And and, and, I, and I'm maintaining them for the most part. That's, you know what I mean? But then slowly, one plate stops spinning. And then another one. That's what the, that's what the disease will do to you. It will work until it doesn't. And then when it falls, it falls hard. And I think because of all the energy that is involved in um, keeping the plates spinning, so to speak, that you don't you don't continue to pursue self-development, personal development, self-care, you know, self-care goes away. Even your relationships, you're kind of keeping them sort of superficial as well. Cause let's face it. We only have so much energy every day, mm-hmm. physical energy, emotional energy. We, we only have so much. And if a big portion of it is, you know, feeding the beast of your addiction and trying to keep it at bay, you, you got to realize somewhere my development probably stopped. I quit becoming a better person all the time. So I may have the house and I may have the job and the kids and all that stuff seems okay, but it's slowing down. It's stopping. The development is going away because more and more of my energy goes to keeping up this addiction. So you talk about that. And, uh, I mean, I, I did, and I loved my kids and I loved my ex-wife and, uh, uh, it was a, it was a good life and, and all that other stuff, but it was, it was, not very authentic. I mean, it was, I mean, I was happy and, it, and all this other stuff, but it reminds me of that conversation I had with my son Bowden and he's an amazing young man, uh, 11 years old. And we had that conversation for 15 minutes about Jim Henson and his lazy eye, uh, because he's reading a book on puppets and yeah. he loves puppets. And this was, he told me that right before we went to bed and we ended up staying up for 15 minutes talking about puppets because I was sober and yeah. I was able to have this conversation. Normally I would have been, huh, lazy eye, and then rolled over and went to bed. You know what I mean? But then I was yeah. like, wait a minute. Why does he know this? And then I find out he's reading a biography on Jim Henson. And yeah. then I realize he's taking a puppet to show and tell, uh, to do a puppet show for nobody who asked for it, and, but was so stoked to do it. Yeah, yeah. And I remember he That's came great. home and like, well, I had the puppet show going. He goes, I, I think I did good, Dad. Yeah. He goes, but they didn't get the jokes. I think they were too uh, over their head. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yep. Okay, yeah. son. You got to learn to play to the audience. Yeah, you right? got to dumb it down, son. <laughs> that's what your dad does so well. Dumb it down. But that's the thing. And it's being authentic. So I guess what I would say out there, if anyone uh, is dealing with addiction or loved one of someone dealing with addiction, mm-hmm. life does get better. And it will really start. You know, we were talking about... Well, the evidence is all around. Oh, yeah. So, like, when people try to argue the other way, which they do occasionally with me, I will just say, okay, that's fine, but let's be, be sciencey about it. What's the evidence? Let's look around at the evidence. Who do we know who is living a so- sober life? Sometimes we have to look at celebrities or, you know, but the reality is the evidence is all around you. You can't deny life gets better. You're just afraid to make it that way. You know way. what term I absolutely hate? What's that? functioning alcoholic (laughs) right that is i mean for sure i agree why are we saying functioning alcoholic you're an alcoholic yeah you're you're putting function on there because that's what the disease does it's trying to make you You rationalize it pre-disaster alcoholic yeah (laughs) like i'm just waiting for the disaster and i want to look at somebody who's a functioning alcoholic and give them a hug because I know the pain they're going through right yeah, now. And sure. instead of trying to fix it or wanting to have that fight in them or whatever it is, keeping them from getting better, they've just accepted it. Yeah. And that's sad. It, that I is mean, sad. It, it is, it's it, kind of hopeless. It's hopeless and it's sad. And they go, well, look, I can't fight this. I can't beat this. So I'm just going to accept it. So we, we've had people in the podcast who sat down and said like this, well, this is my life. If I'm going to be a junkie, I'm going to be the best junkie possible. Yeah. A lot of people. Have said you know, that. And, yeah. and, 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 and I'm just going to give it all I got. 
And those people were now on the podcast talking about how their life got better. I mean, we've had guys almost lose their legs from shooting heroin. Yep. We've had people almost lose their toes from living behind a dumpster behind a shopping mall. Yeah. And, 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 and now lifting weights, living a fulfilling life and doing these things. So Giving back. And that's important is giving back. And that's what we're doing here on this podcast today. So we're going to take a break. You're listening to Project Recovery. We'll be right back. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Hey, welcome back to Project Recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. He's a clinical psychologist and the smartest guy in the room. That's well, why... Well, there's only three of us here. Well, but you still... Know, I don't know. One of us is magnum cum laude, and it's not me. Wow. Yeah, smart guy over there Maybe running we should the have board. An arm wrestle. <laughs> I'm not going to beat either one of you guys in an arm wrestle. Josh, you got to finish that sentence with "I'm not a doctor yet." yet. Ooh, right. you get your doctorate. All right, so we've got questions, and I opened it up because people want a free therapy. Uh, Utah's favorite F word is free. Free, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so sure. we've got a question here. Um, I'm not going to say their name, but they Good put idea. it on Facebook. It sure. says, "All right, I have one that I have struggled with. How do you tell your story of your past without living in the past?" Besides the fact in the beginning it can trigger emotions, which sharing my story helped, but sometimes it can feel like telling my story to others can make others define me as my past self. But my story needs to be told. How do you keep a healthy balance of past, present, and future? They hope this makes sense. Their story uh, just tends to shock people from where I was, how far I fell, and where am I now? Ah, that's a great question. Um, And you're just hitting me with that now, so... Uh, great question. Honestly, I bet that applies to a lot of people. I mean, one initial thought, just a preface would be give up trying to worry about what other people think. Like you can't control other people's opinions of you. And, and I know that's probably the people they're referring to are friends and family. So those are important people in their life. But I would say if you refocus on you, and I'll give you a suggestion on that right now, then their opinion of you is going to be as good as they want it to be. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like if you're living your best life, then their opinion of you is going to shine unless they don't want it to. And if they've got some issues, then that's their stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So one thought would be this. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Sharing your story initially and maybe throughout your, your process of being in recovery is a good idea. But I think initially we've seen it here on the show where we've had people who are fresh in recovery sharing their 
their story and and they've commented to us just moments afterwards what a what a relief that is and mm-hmm. it sort of helps you process so going to therapy and talking about your story uh 12 step rooms and talking about your story looking if somebody invites you to come in and and share it talk about your story be thoughtful about you know if you're not ready to talk about certain details that's up to you but sharing your story can be extremely therapeutic i guess the the word would be cathartic you know mm-hmm. we let go of that um you know, the, 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 the pressure from that past. But I would say this, this person's talking about, I think they even said like something about past, present, and future in their question. And that goes to sort of the cognitive principle of where we focus in time has a huge impact on how we feel emotionally. So people who are primarily focused on their past have higher rates of regrets, kind of the woulda, coulda, shoulda thoughts, mm-hmm. and therefore depression. It does hold you down, hold you back. People who are overly focused on the future, just on the future, tend to have more feelings of insecurity and worry and therefore anxiety. So the key is we want to learn from our past and prepare and plan for our future, but live in the present. Right. So how does that work with their question? Well, for example, if in your past you did a lot of damage to yourself and others, which most addicts do, you yep. just got done talking about part of your story where you literally did damage to others and yourself, um, that's not a great place to stay and feel defined. Remember, we can't, if other people are going to define us that way, that's probably their stuff coming out more than anything. But for you, it doesn't have to be your stuff. And so... Um, I would say pause and ask yourself, and I would say this is actually a really good journaling exercise. So I'm a person who I don't really love writing stuff down. So if I suggest you write something down, it's probably worthwhile because I, I don't do that willy-nilly. So, But this is a good journaling exercise. If you were to sit down and say, okay, I've told my story a few times. I'm sober now. I'm trying to live a life of recovery. Um, what principles, and I mean bullet points, what did I learn from that? You were 45 years old, Casey, before you really got sober and your life took a, a, chain, a turn for the better. Right. So I would say in your case, you would have to say, well, from my past, but especially my, my past in addiction, you know, what can I take from that? The good lessons, the bad lessons, what did I learn that can inform me today? Again, we want to be focused in the present. What about that? Was I, was I an excuse maker? Was I a procrastinator? Uh, was I somebody who operated in denial a lot? I was a manipulator. A manipulator? That's what I was. So then you would say, okay, well, how can I not let that past define me? Well, I can take those things and I can say, how can I make that work for me today? Well, I know that I, I, I'm speaking as KCC Money Scott right now. I got you. He, I, I'm a, I can manipulate. I can walk. I can work a room like nobody's business. I can walk in and and in a positive way. You know, I think you use your manipulation for good, not evil. But but yeah. you can you can work a room, right? Yeah. So you would have to say to yourself, okay. So how does that need to change right now in my life? Do I still want to connect with other people when I walk in the room? Yeah, I do. I want to have a great relationship with people. So manipulation is the opposite of authenticity. So maybe a person in your situation would have to say, so I'm still going to walk in. I'm still going to light up that room. I'm still going to connect with people, but it's going to be authentic. And can you think of some of the ways you authentically do that now? Because I can think of. I can tell you right now. I just went recently, 
met with a company. I'm not going to use their name, uh, but a great company. They wanted to meet with me. Uh, they wanted me to do some endorsements for them. Okay. So I go into it. And I'm going to sit down and I'm going to meet with the president, co-president of the company. Yeah. And uh, the rest of the, the the group. The important folks. So I sit down there and they look at me and I look at them and they go, so tell me about yourself. And I said, well, we got to start from the beginning. Yeah. And I said, the beginning for me, it was, I'm recently in recovery, four years. And I got in this accident and I did this and these are all the things that I'm doing. And I kept going and I told them everything. Yeah. And I go, the reason I tell you this is because I want you to know who you're dealing with. And it's part of my story and a part of who I am. And if at the end of this, I walk out and you guys get together and go, you know what? We think we want to stay away from this guy. I won't hurt my feelings because I know who I am and I know what I stand for. And I'll thank you for your time. And and it's no big deal. Yeah. And they go, whoa, (laughs) that's not the answer they were expecting. They were like, yeah, we just want to know what your ideas for the endorsements were. (laughs) And I said, but I have to tell you this because I want you to know what you're getting. And my whole deal is being authentic. I didn't want to leave this room and have you guys Google my name and find out the things that I've done and all this other stuff and wonder if I'm keeping anything from you. So if we are going to work together and I'm going to endorse your product, I need to know who you guys are. I need to know what you stand for. And I want this meeting just as much as you do because I've been in the past five years ago. I'll endorse whoever. Yeah. Is, there, is there money attached to it? Give Sign it to me. me up. Give it to me. And I will sell it to it like no other. But that's not how I am now. That's not who I live for. And I choose my endorsements very wisely. And I tell you what I believe. Yeah. And so they were like, huh. And then I just got a text on the way down here. It was like, it was very nice meeting you. Oh, Thank yeah. you very much for being so authentic and open with us. We look forward to working with you. Oh, great. So, but that was. So, there's a perfect example of where the old Casey might have walked in, read the room, and told them what they wanted to hear and walked out with the endorsement. And you were very good at that. You had, you, you did that all the time. I've, that, but it was authentic. Career. It was, yeah. it was a manipulation because yeah. you were telling them what they wanted to hear. In this case, you were telling them what you needed them to hear, which was the authentic truth about who you are. And this was the first time that I've done this where I said, hey, look. If I don't jive with your guys' beliefs and align with what you guys are into, I, I won't take it personal. I really won't because when I get in my car, I can look in the mirror and feel good about who I am. Mm-hmm. When I lay down at night and I put my head on the pillow, I look into my head and I'm okay with who I am. Yeah. And five years ago, if I would have got a call, I was like, you know what, Casey, they didn't like you. I would have taken that so personal. Yeah. I would have taken it so personal. I was like, well, wait a minute. I made him laugh. I did all this other stuff. But then was I just this, this used car salesman? Was I, you know what I mean? Was I just too versed or whatever? And I was like, no, you've got to know. If, if, if we're going to do this, you've got to know who I am. Yeah. And I, and I learned that from Lizzie Dankers, who's on the podcast. She was great. You, you know, she's like, if, no, it was Tony, Tony Carroll. Well, they're both great. Yeah, they were both. But she's like, if you're going to know me, you need to know all of me. And that's what I would say to that person is that, yeah, the past happened. Mm -hmm. And it's an important part of it. And I don't know who said it. It was some guy way smarter than me. If we don't learn from our past, we're doomed to repeat it in the future. Yeah. And so the past is there to teach us lessons. Absolutely. And in fact, I know you and I don't talk up the 12 steps very often on this show. We've had a lot of great guests that have benefited tremendously from the 12 steps. It is an option that works for many people. But I think that's generally what those 12 steps are trying to accomplish is to help you redefine yourself, mm-hmm. especially I think it's step nine, 
where you have to make amends and, and go back and apologize to people. And I would say most programs are trying to help you learn from your past so that you can live authentically in the future. Um, it is scary. I think change, I know change is the hardest thing that we do personally. If it was easy, everybody would be yeah, doing it. Yeah, personal change. Um, I mean, look at all the businesses associated with trying to help people change. I mean, there's just... It's a billion dollar industry. I mean, there's just so many different avenues that people are trying to improve and change themselves. So if it was easy, we wouldn't need all those folks out there helping us, right? Right. And I would say part of what holds us back is worrying about what other people think. I'm not going to be one of those psychologists that dismisses that and says, it's just a choice. Well, I mean, in many ways it is, but I care what other people think about me. I mean, that's just human nature, right? Everybody does. But you have to care more about your sobriety and, and your recovery than what other people think about you. And that's one thing I've learned in spades on this show. And I think I've said this before. When we first started doing the show, we had a few guests where I was like, should I intervene and say something? Because they were saying things like, I put my sobriety above God, you know, wife, children, job, everything. And I remember thinking, whoa, that, that doesn't quite Seems sit right. That's not what I was taught. You know, yeah. growing up, those are the things you put above everything else, including yourself. And that sounded sort of backwards to me until it kind of got through my head that I realized, well, that's how you can actually put all those other things in their proper place in what life. What they say in recovery is whatever you put above that is it's what, what you will lose first. And and if you aren't sober, if you aren't in recovery, you can't have any then you can't have any of those other things. So that and I'm like, okay, thick thick skull here. That makes sense to me, and I really like that idea. So I think that that's one of the things that holds another person back, uh, holds people back, is worrying what other people think. Another thing is uh, not knowing what to do, right? Like, how do I live authentically in the present moment? And that's where that journaling exercise I mentioned a minute ago can come into handy where you say, okay, let me just bullet point. What, what did I learn from, from uh, my, per- my period of time in my life when I was addicted? Like, what do I wish I didn't have to think about? But maybe there, I was a manipulator or I, I, I was whatever, you know, and I write those things down. And then how can I take those items and make them work in the present? How can I not be a procrastinator? How can mm-hmm. I be an honest person like that's that's hard because most addicts are really good at uh lying deceiving and manipulating that's one of their superpowers yeah so what i would say to this guest talking about their story the past present and the future uh and what i've learned uh you know in the almost four years that i've been in recovery is when you talk to an addict an addict most likely has three versions of their story uh when i say that it, it means uh there's the story that you tell people in the rooms, uh, in the AA rooms or in process groups or your therapist. Those are the, where you, you get it all out. Yeah. And you work through it and you process it. You unpack that baggage and, and you really get into it. Okay. And, and that's an important part of it. That's an important sure. part yeah. of it. Yeah. But when you're telling your story to a church group or a school or, or whatever it is, then you've got another version of your story, you know, and 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 that's right. and and you go back to your 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 thoughts is a bullet point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe you don't have to go into the shock and awe of, of the <laughs> right. you, you know what I mean of how bad it was. You yeah. know what I mean? I'm not saying 
gloss over it. You know what I mean? But what is the most important part of that? Right. You know what I mean? And I think sometimes people get too deep into the weeds and take you along all this journey, which some of it is important, but some of it it's not. It, right. I mean, it, it's really not when you're talking to somebody about the recovery. What most people, that's why we do the podcast this way, is most people want to focus on the recovery and what you're doing now. And so if you're right. always living in the past, and she's right, then that's a dark place to live. For and, sure. And you can't do anything about it. You acknowledge it, you accept it, you learn from it, and you move forward. But if you're telling your story and you're spending more time on that than what you're doing now, right. you're missing the point. What am I doing with it now? Right. What did I learn from that? Yeah. How has my life changed because of that? Mm-hmm. You know. And then there's another version that you know you tell – someone you're dating the first time you meet him. You <laughs> right, know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but you've got Rob Eastman and Rob Eastman will sit you down when he was dating before he met Lacey. Yeah. I mean, he would just tell you straight. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, that's sort of Rob style. You know, but, yeah. but, the, but there are, so there's three, usually three versions. There's a full story. There's a 15 minute and there's a 10. When I do these speaking engagements and I talk to other people in addiction, they go, what's my time? And what they're doing is doing the math in their head. Okay, so you need the 10-minute version. The 10-minute, yeah. And yeah. so the 10-minute version is a little different than the 15. And some of that has to do with the audience, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're speaking to a bunch of school kids at a school function, um, that's a different version of the story than you might tell to a group of people in recovery. But one thing should be constant in the three versions of it, and it's where you've been, where you're going, and how you are, you know, if that makes sense, you know yeah. what I mean? They, but it's just the details. Well, what I love about this show, and I think the reason, I mean, I know the reason that we named it Project Recovery was uh, we wanted to see what people were doing in recovery right now. That's the favorite part of the right? podcast for me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and a lot of people I know, they just want to hear the rock bottom because we live in a society that, you know, that- Watch a train wreck. Yeah, a little morbid yeah, yeah. and want to see how bad it gets. Yeah. But if you really were just to listen to 15 minutes of our podcast, I would listen to the last 15 minutes because sure. you see miracles. You see wonderful things come out of despair. You see families coming back together. You see people giving back. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I mean, it really, I mean, that's what, that, when we walk out, we're like, wow, man, I feel better. I always, it's the craziest thing. Like it, I walk out of here every week feeling uplifted. Right. Because we end with what those people are doing now. I had somebody text me uh, really late at night. <laughs> uh, so he knows that wasn't my favorite. But he texted me really late at night saying, I just listened to Riley Loosemore's episode. Yeah. And he's like, I could not imagine where this was going, where this guy is like, he's got his own calling card and and he's he's terrorizing you know the, he's the, on the, the road underworld from for four years and eight months yeah he, all the time wielding swords but he got his own calling card that's the part that yes. I'm like that is that is some uh, ingenious stuff At terrorizing folks that that owed money and I mean just off the hook swinging a sword just doing all this stuff and so he's telling that part of the story but then we get to who he is now. He is the farthest thing a from giant. that guy. Oh my gosh. He is, he's loving people and caring for people and helping people in recovery, working in three different recovery settings to bring the light into other people's lives that he has in his life now. And that is what defines 
Riley today. And so for our listener who gave us that great question, I would listen to some of those kinds of stories and say, yes, that now there may be people who came across Riley's path back in the day who don't have the greatest opinion of him, regardless of what he's doing now. And Riley can't worry about that. He can't do anything about it. Do you remember he was one of our first guests on the podcast? His name was Cole Thorpe, and he does mm-hmm. the We Are Win Recovery Expo that I've been a part of since the inception. Yes. He called me late night and goes, we got to talk about Riley. And I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, I was in recovery with Riley. Yeah. He goes, and that guy, I mean, he was angry and he was this. And he goes, I love Riley. And he goes, but I was there. And what Riley said was 100% true. Yeah. And it was, you know, and he was just like, and I was like, what? And he was yeah. like, yeah. I mean, Riley was one of those stories that you just, you were like, huh? Wow. And the the 180 degree change in yeah. that guy. And so I would say that's that's the that's the message of this show is um that's what's possible that real change. So to anybody listening who's struggling and worrying about like how can we really change uh it starts with letting go of other people's perceptions. Mm-hmm. They're going to the best ones will come along with you. Yep. Trust you just oh, got to yep. trust that. Mm-hmm. The best people will come along with you. But it's you redefining yourself by learning from your past, planning for the future, but really digging in and living day to day in the present. I love it. I think that's a whole podcast right there. Yeah. I think we're done. Okay. I I love it. Yeah. Uh, And I always love talking to you because like, here's the crazy thing is we're probably going to, we're showing you how the sausage is made. Yeah. We didn't plan anything. No, we, 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 well, see, I think that's our style though. Yeah. Right. Like we, you have thoughts in your head. I have thoughts in my head. We sit down and talk about it. I mean, that's even kind of how it goes when we have a guest. Yeah. But that's the great thing about a podcast is this genuine, authentic conversation. We're not scripting it out uh, to the, to the. In fact, I would be interested because I say something to the guests every week before we start recording. And now I'm kind of curious what the listeners actually think of what I say. Yeah. I tell the guests, because most of, many of our guests, maybe most, are kind of nervous, right? When they oh, come yeah. in, maybe they've never done something like this before. Uh, so we have to kind of explain the details and their nervousness is there and we want them to feel comfortable. So one of the things I always say is we want this to the listeners to just feel like they're eavesdropping on a conversation. Right. We're just here talking, eavesdropping on a conversation so that they feel invited to be part of the conversation with us and that usually helps our guests relax i I think think, it does right and so i'd be curious if you want to go on facebook and tell us if if it feels like that to you then i guess we're hitting our mark or you can give us hints suggestions uh comments uh future guests we're always looking for people to come on and share their story of recovery and some uh, of my very favorite people that i know in my life today are people who uh we've uh come through our listening audience here into the studio i love it well, thank you very much for stopping by and uh, giving us an hour of your time and listening to us babble on. Uh, Project Recovery is all about recovery, uh, and we splash in a little addiction in there. Sure. Um, but thank you very much. And in case you forgot, Project Recovery is what? It's a KSL podcast. Riley, man. <laughs>
The contents of this program are for informational purposes only. The program is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician, licensed therapist, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you've heard on this program. KSL does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on the program. Reliance on any information provided on the program is solely at your own risk. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.